Today's reading comes from 1 John 4, 16 through 21. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. Well, thank you. It's very humbling. Um, Nancy and I do consider it a privilege to pastor here. Um, Did anyone notice what the um, New City Catechism, do you remember what the New City Catechism was today? Baptism. Baptism cleverly done 43 weeks in advance. It's a 52-week program, and we, uh, we just cleverly put it into place, the, the providential. We, we haven't had a baptism. Well, I think that's true. I'm not sure that's true. But that, that this date, we happen to be having a baptism. About 15 minutes or so, we're going to all go out the front door to end our service right, right outside the front, and we're going to watch uh, a baptism take place. What I want to tie in this morning for us is that that baptism is a reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's saying, I can't do it myself. I need God for my salvation. I need the Lord. When uh, I won't embarrass George, he's not in this morning, who's being baptized. When I met with him and I said, so why do you want to be baptized? He said, this is classic. He said, well, I believe in Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? Best answer ever, right? I said, well, yeah, that's, you know, isn't that what Jesus, shouldn't we do what Jesus said to do? Boy, if we all could have such simple faith, right? Um, This morning, as we're moving, next week we'll end our study in the letters of John. And this week's study can seem as simple as that. Jesus says, so so how, uh, John says to the people in his church who were struggling with false teaching, struggling with a civil government that was persecuting them, and he says, so, so guys, how are you going to stay Christians? How are you going to stay walking? And John says, well, shouldn't you love one another? Isn't that what Jesus said to do? John remembers in, in the gospel in John 13, he said, this is my commandment, right, that you love one another so that your joy may be full. So what I want to do this morning is just very briefly and very simply talk about, so uh, what does it mean to love one another? How do we actually do that? How is love hindered? What, What prevents us from loving one another? And how do you know if you're actually doing it? Okay, so we're just going to look at those briefly. We've talked about this before, but as I mentioned when we started talking about 
the letters of John. John is not a linear writer. He doesn't take an argument from chapter 1 and move it like Paul does through the letter. He circles around themes over and over again. This is about the 12th time he said, love each other. All right, He just keeps coming back to that. Must be important. Must have been important for his church. I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say it's important for ours as well. How do you love each other when things are difficult and when things are trying? All right, so what is love? How is it defined here? I want to go back. We've talked about this before, but the biblical definition of love, 1 John 3.16, says this. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay? Contrast that with what does our world teach? Our world essentially teaches, and I'm not saying there's no truth in this, but this is essentially. Love is a positive feeling. Love is a uh, desire, or love is some strong attraction or positivity towards something. And there's a corollary that I think is sort of in our culture, which is you should accept whatever anyone else defines as love, uh, You should accept that person for who they are, what they affirm, and that is the loving thing to do. We're going to run into a problem with biblical Christianity and with our world's definition of love. Let me give you a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, book, The Problem of Pain. Lewis writes this, Love may indeed love the beloved when her beauty is lost, But he doesn't love her because the beauty is lost. Love may forgive faults and love in spite of them, but love never ceases to will the removal of the fault. Love is more sensitive than hatred itself to every blemish in the beloved. Of all powers, God forgives most but condones least. He's pleased with just a little, but he demands all. What's Lewis saying, and what do I think love is? We look at a culture that often says, you must accept me exactly for who I am, even if my behavior is self-destructive. The Bible says, I love you exactly for who you are, but I love you enough to will for you God's best for you. Those things stand in opposition to each other, or they can. I won't say they always do, but they can. And so for John, as he says, this is no mealy-mouthed, wishy-washy, oh, love one another, just, just, you know, don't will the best for the other. He says, no, I'm going to love you enough to want God's best for you, which may mean serious conversation. It may mean hard conversation with people. It may mean praying for decades because self-deception in, in our culture and in our world is not, not unknown. And we, we need to pray for the clarity of God's love. So how do I do this? Because, you know, Jesus set a pretty high bar for love. To die for your enemies. I don't know about you, but that's not something I really want to do. I don't even want to die for my friends. I might. What is... As Jesus is teaching, what does he tell us about love? Well, we go back to, for those of us who memorized uh, 
in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go, I'll, I'll have you turn, if you've got your Bible, to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look together, because John is reflecting on what Jesus taught him. And it's a pretty high bar. You have heard it was said, Matthew 5, 43, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Skipping to 46. If you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? So here's what I want to tell you. You can try as hard as you want to love like that. And frankly, personality-wise, some of you will do better than others, but no one will do it as Jesus did it without his help. may sound um, something hard to grab a hold of, but I'm going to tell you, unless you are filled with the Spirit of God, you will not be able to love as Jesus wants you to or as John talks about in his letter. As we go back to, let me just read again and think about your own relationships, especially with those who you have the hardest time loving. Don't think about the nicest person you know. They're relative, it's relatively easy to have. Think about the person, maybe in your family for a lot of us, but just think about the person at work. Think about the person that is the most difficult for you because Jesus said, look, if you love only those who are easy to love, don't even sinners do that. So let's look again at what John says. By this we know, verse 13 of chapter 4, 1 John that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, so we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment, because so are we in this world. Beloved, verse 11, if God loved us, so also ought you to love one another. There's the key right there. Do you know that God loves you? If you don't really believe God loves you, I don't think you will have it within you to love those who are hard to love. I'll give you two kind of parallel verses. Galatians 5:14, Paul says, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." But then he says, "But you actually are biting and devouring one another." So what does Paul say to do? He says, "I'll say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh." Hmm, how practical is that? Well, we'll see. In Ephesians 4, again, Paul, a common theme to the church. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, because God in Christ forgave you. When you look at the person that's hardest to love, I think you're just trying to gin up within yourself. I I know I do. Make it, will it to happen. And the trouble is, what irritated me at first just irritates me again. As soon as I let my guard down, I've got about a half hour's worth of love in me. And then I just get irritated again. So where do I look? 
If I don't look at them, if I don't look at the person who I'm trying to love, where do I look? What you do is you look at Jesus and you. Because if you think you are incredibly lovable, then you don't have an accurate reflection of who you are. And if you see that Jesus loved you and loved me at my worst, think of you at your worst when you've made that snarky comment, when you've ignored that phone call or that letter that you should have responded to, but you just couldn't bring yourself to do, when you've just been at your worst self and you say, you look and say, Jesus when I was yet a sinner, you died for me. Romans 5. You loved me at my most unlovable. And you keep focusing on that. Can I just tell you that your feelings may or may not change toward those it's hardest to love. I'm surprised at how often they do change. When I focus on the fact that God loved me when I wasn't lovable. And I turn around and I can give out of what I was given. If you don't think you were loved by God, you'll find that very quickly self-hatred begins and then it's virtually impossible to love anyone else. So, what hinders us from loving? Well, there's a verse that many of us will know and, and it, if you've been around church things at all, you will have heard this. But it's worth repeating, verse 18, John, 1 John 4. There's no, what, fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. What hinders us from loving? Fear. Fear of what? Well, John names fear of judgment, fear of punishment. If you fear that God's out to get you, right, it's very difficult to love. Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas said, fear is such a powerful emotion that humans, when we allow it to take us over, have compassion driven right out of our hearts. There's no room for compassion when you're afraid. What else can we be afraid of? Well, I, I'm afraid that I'll be hurt if I love or I won't be loved in return or I just won't measure up, I won't do it right. I'm fear, I fear that I'm failing my kids or my wife or my church because I'm not perfect. There's all sorts of fear you can let. And you know what? There's no fear in love. So you say, okay, well, I need to have perfect love. Eh. You'll never have it. Where does perfect love come from? It comes from God. How do we get God in us? Well, go back to baptism. You surrender. Here's the simple truth of the Christian life. It's great to have moral standards. Wonderful. I'm all for the Ten Commandments. Better than the alternative in all, all ways. But if you think obeying the Ten Commandments is going to get God on your side or in your heart, you, that's what the Pharisees did. And the little Pharisee in me, that's easy. That's the easy way. And it's always a loser. You'll always fail because there's always a commandment ready to bite you. So how do I do it? You get in the water. You say, Lord, I need to die to me. I need to die to me. I need your spirit inside me. So here's the prayer, very simple. Lord, 
your perfect love is going to cast out every fear I have. And I'm going to ask to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And I need you to do what I can't do. Because I don't have it within me to love my spouse or my children or my coworkers or, or anyone as you would want me to. I surrender, which means death. I'm going to die to me. I'm going to die. Does it mean I don't try? No, but you, you will. But when you have power in your life to actually do what your humanness will fall short of, you'll find that God is there when you've surrendered. So as we go out in a minute together to look at this baptism, we're going to see a metaphor. We're going to see a picture of what it means to surrender because that's where the Christian life begins and ends. It doesn't begin with surrender and then we try, try, try. It begins and then every day there's surrender. And our trying, yes, filled with the Holy Spirit, will begin to transform us. I want to point out one other verse that's part of this section. And we're going to end with this verse. We didn't read it this morning, but it's a verse I've treasured. It's in 1 John chapter 5. And it says this. Verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If you feel burdened by your Christian life, that that the Christian walk is a burden, and I've had this conversation with several people over the years that just feel like their Christian life, obeying all the rules, doing the right thing, standing up against the world, blah, blah, blah. It's just exhausting. I want to suggest to you that I get it. I've been there, but I want to suggest to you that we've put on something other than the gospel. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Our souls need rest. If we're, if the, first John, John, who's walked with the Lord now for decades says, it's not a burden for him to obey the commands of the Lord. I understand it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. But if it burdens your soul, let's relook at what we're taking to get our approval. Jesus approves of you and loves you and wants you right where you are. The first part of the Lewis quote, he accepts you more than anyone else, but he accepts you and me too much to leave us where we are. We're going to go out in a minute. We're just going to go right out the door you came in and down on the sidewalk, there's a big horse trough, and we're going to end our service. I just want everyone, there's sort of an amphitheater, so you can just stand there. It'll take five minutes. And we're going to end our service if everyone will just come out and do that. I want to share with you as we go out the door. A couple weeks ago, Nancy and I were in Milan. And we were in the huge Duomo, the huge cathedral in central Milan. And they've excavated underneath of that. And there's a picture here of, the, of a, something they've excavated where this is a pool of water that's underneath And there's a written record of St. Ambrose, one of the four great doctors of the church, who 
was preaching in the 300s in Milan, and a philosophy student who had become a teacher, a tutor in philosophy, of Roman and Greek philosophy came. And this young man was completely wrapped up in a sexual addiction, sensuality to the point where he couldn't function anymore. And he had finally despaired of his life. And he heard Ambrose teaching the gospel. And he said, my heart is restless and empty, and it needs to find its rest in thee. And St. Augustine got in that pool with Ambrose in about 387, and he completely surrendered his life. If you know about St. Augustine, he was one of the people that really turned the world upside down simply by surrendering to God. And as we stood there and sort of listened to this and watched, there's a pool of water that rushes in. You can see the open pipe from one side, and there's another pool that rushes. You can't see the pipe, but it's a flowing stream. And I just imagined a stream of water coming in and washing the sins away from somebody who had just come to the end of himself. And he said, I can't do this anymore. He realized what he was teaching. Read about the story. It's amazing. He was te- the philosophy I'm teaching is completely wrong and empty. I need something beyond me. And with Ambrose, he surrendered his life there. Ambrose wrote this. When bapti- He called them baptizans, those who get baptized. Come up from the water. It is just like Jesus Christ coming up from the tomb. Baptism is a death. Surely when you are submerged and reemerged from that water, it's a, re- it's a resurrection. So if you join me, we're just going to go out, take us a, couple, a minute or two to go out the front door, and then down, you'll see the tub down on the thing. And let's, let's finish up doing this part of the service.